The last four days were a fever dream. <laughs> I don't understand what happened to Nicole. No, it everything I expected and more and less and just what? <laughs> it was just so all over the place that putting together the outline for the show caused me to feel like my brain was playing ping pong with itself. I feel like I've sent you about six voice notes today that were like, we forgot to put this on the outline to talk about this. So inevitably we're going to forget something. We're going to miss oh. things. And that's just going to happen because there was just too much. And we, the, we had a two hour episode last week and we're still going to miss stuff this week. So, yep. Well, was the Vegas GP perfect? Of course not, but it definitely hit the jackpot more than they had to fold. And that will be the last of my silly Vegas card puns, I promise. <laughs> but I had to do it! Um, so, of course, we're going to talk about the disaster of the first two on-track sessions, but we're also mostly going to hit on all the things that really made us smile this weekend. So, bear with us, we'll get to the complainy part. But first, we want to give you the five reasons why this race was so much better than most of the races we watched this season. We want to talk about the best OMG moments and meme-creating events of the weekend. We're going to go through our favorite helmets, liveries, marketing moments, and they put so much on the spear and we need to talk about it. The pop culture breakdown that we have to do post this race weekend is so big that instead of having just one Gossip Grid segment, we have decided to split it into two segments that I know are going to be unbelievably major. Nicole's been texting me just, this is insane, there's too much. We're also going to touch on what we learned about F1 and their US-based marketing strategy from the CNBC documentary that debuted this week. Reluctantly, after all of that, we will turn our attention away from the Vegas GP, I say very reluctantly, to cover some big stories that snuck into an already very crowded, overwhelming news cycle. Story number one, what does GM registering as an engine manufacturer for 2028 mean for the Andretti bid for 2025? We got our first look at a potential 2026 regulations car. What will this mean for F1 racing in just a couple years? And then of course, there is one more race, even though I don't know how anything could ever top this. This feels like the final race. So we will preview and predict that the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix that is happening starting Thursday as well. I think it's also a Saturday race. Finally, as always, we will end the show with Yellow Sector Notes. The likely too many stories we missed because damn a lot happened this week. Well, I mean, we released an episode on Thursday and it's Monday and it's been about three days and I feel like there's been a month worth of news and we're gonna try to cram everything we can't talk about in detail into those Yellow Sector Notes. But as a quick reminder, our reaction and breakdown of the Braun miniseries will be dropping in our normal Thursday slot this week, which is why this is coming out as an immediate reaction on Monday. So far, we're both really liking and can't wait to chat with you all about your thoughts. That wraps up the Formation Lab for the Lewis Hamilton episode of Gridwalk, a weekly Formula One podcast that believes there are fascinating stories to discuss across the entire F1 grid. Please don't forget to like and subscribe if you're watching us on YouTube. Hello there. Uh, also, leave us a comment. What surprised you the most about the Vegas GP? If you're listening on any audio platforms, please hit that follow button, turn on auto downloads, even if you just delete the download off, just the fact that you downloaded it really helps. Oh, and drop a review because we want to hear what you think about the show. All these things we, we have to mention, all the other podcasts you listen to mention, the YouTubers you watch, blah, blah, blah. It's because it really helps us out. So thank you so much if you did anything above. 
cold ground and our wind up on the grid. It's lights out and away we go this week's grid walk. Friday, I was like, I'm kind of glad we didn't go for year one, but by the end of the race, I was like, oh, I wish we were there for all this chaos and silliness and yeah. stupidity. Yeah, but Thursday we would have been pissed. Yeah, totally. But, but maybe we would have been less pissed if we were at the Almay bar at the same time as Lewis Hamilton. Maybe, but we wouldn't have because he no. doesn't have the, he, he has better transportation than we would have. I think we can both agree that this was one of the better races, like just on track race experiences of the entire season. So last night it was 1 a.m. my time and I was watching, well, this was probably a little after when I was watching them drive around in a limo, but that, that was the most fresh thing in my brain. And I put together a list of five reasons why I think this race hit and like what was really good about it. And some of them I think are repeatable and some of them are just lucky chance things that created this perfect storm for this perfect race watching experience. Because my caveat to all of this is that at no point did I actually believe really that Max was gonna lose this race, but I still loved watching this race. Yeah, it was enough that was like, well, you know, there's some action. We're gonna have to see him get from where he is to up there. So how's that gonna happen? <laughs> And there was, I guess, a little seed of doubt. But that leads me to, why was this race better than most? Thing number one, there was no on-track runaway leader. And even though I, I wasn't, didn't feel insecure about Max winning the race, the fact that I didn't have to see a number greater than like five seconds on the timing podium really just improved my overall mood. And I think the mood of all of us. But I, we didn't have anyone trying to convince us that Max wasn't going to win. But it, it, we didn't have to be annoyed that he was 20 seconds down the road. Yeah, it felt like it was close enough. And then there was the period of time before he went into the pits where he was given the penalty that says, well, what's going to happen? What are they going to do? What are, are they going to serve it? What's the, is there going to be the gap? And then you start doing all of that crazy fun math. And it's always just really fun when you get to hear, is now in P1 and just getting... Right. Like, everyone just gets so excited seeing any sort of that overtaking. Because I was also in the place of... Max was never not going to win. Sorry, Charles. Love you so much. It was never not going to be Max, no matter where he was. So it was really exciting to see, like, the way that that got up there. And then even once he had regained the P1 position, watching the battle of what then seemed to be a whole different race between Checo and, Car and, Checo and Charles was, like... Also so unbelievably Still, exciting to watch. Right. And it wasn't a million miles down the road. Like, it was all close enough where it was happening. Um, yeah, and, like, Max had to work for it, to your point. Like, we had to actually see overtakes. They didn't just happen in the pits. People, there was overtakes for P1 multiple times on track. Uh, so, thing thought? number two. Yeah, I know, craziness. Um, and, by the way, these five things, like, of why this race was better than most is in no particular order right now. But thing number two is drivers were out of place because qualifying was weird. Like this will always create a more exciting race when you have faster cars behind slower cars and they need to work to pass them. So you add Lewis and Checo and Carlos further back than they should have been having to work their way through the pack, through the Haas, through the Williams. Like I think we knew their pace was faster than those cars. 
but that is going to create strategy differences and it's going to create on track action in general. Um, and there were definitely exciting overtakes that weren't just DRS overtakes because these drivers at the back were trying to get up to the front as quickly as humanly possible. They were like, I need to get creative here with these overtakes. So drivers being out of place because of quality is not something that's replicable. Like we don't want them to force that to happen. Like I'm not sitting here like arguing in favor of a reverse grid or something silly, but when it does happen, it should create a better race than most races. And we had that here. Yeah. You got a situation like Esteban Ocon who starts like, way in the back and then it's just like zooming all the way like really has to work his way up and that's just beautiful racing and so fantastic to see reason number three why this race was actually better than most is that even from the start even before the chaos and all the safety cars there were split strategies there are people on hards there are people on mediums there are people who got into accidents and were forced on different strategies the safety car came at weird times and basically it meant that everyone was on these different strategies and they all had to converge at the end and you didn't know what was going to work. So instead of watching a race where everyone starts on mediums and then everyone moves to hards and that's the race, because there are split strategies and there's this sense of unknown and people pitting at different times and what like and not knowing what's going to work out, there's still that seed of doubt of like, well, what if Ferrari got it right and Red Bull got it wrong? Like, what if this driver gets it right? Like Lewis's race was ruined because of the puncture, but he was on a completely alternate strategy that was really exciting up until that point. So there was so many split strategy options that teams took. Yeah. And one of the most exciting pieces is like that big question mark, especially in a brand new circuit like that. And given the lack of data, I mean, for all the reasons that is so incredibly annoying that we didn't have from earlier in the start of the weekend, but going into the race with like a little bit of less knowledge and slightly more, again, when you have the relatively even playing field and that level of knowledge, it's great. It's like, will the hard tires be the decision? Will they last? Will drivers be able to manage it? And given the weather and how cold it was and everyone's bundled before the race, now you've got to go warm up some tires. Absolutely really set up for some great strategy. Okay, I'm going to agree with Max Verstappen here because point number four is something that you and I preach all the time. When there is no sprint, the race is better. Because when the, what happens with the sprint, if you haven't heard this rant from one of us yet, is all the drivers go out there, they do a mini race, then everyone knows absolutely everything. We can perfectly simulate the race the next day. Both the teams can because they know exactly how the tires are going to react and the we can because we see exactly the pace of everyone and then it just happens. So it all goes back to this level of uncertainty. Not having the sprint race means that I had no idea what was going to happen in the race today. I, Even though I am one of the biggest nerds and I sit there and I look at all the free practice lap times, not having the sprint race means I don't 100% know what's going to happen. Even though I've looked at every single lap time and compared them all to every other driver, it doesn't matter. It's still an unknown. And having that unknown after two races on two Fan, well, the last three races have all been great circuits, but we've had two sprint races on Brazil and Coda, which I think everyone would say are two of some of the best tracks on the entire F1 calendar. But those races fell flat compared to this one because we went into Sunday knowing exactly what was going to happen, and then that's what happened. And that's boring. So the fact that Vegas wasn't a sprint race really helped this race. Which probably means... That eventually they'll turn it into a sprint race because for some reason they think what's how's it gonna be better and make fans happy, especially now. 
sprint race and just vegas seems like the city most aligned with what f1 thinks a sprint race means so i would love for it to remain no sprint I would love every single race on the grid to be no sprint for this reason. The more unknowns we have going into Sunday, the better we're going to all collectively enjoy the race F1. And then the last reason, reason number five, why I think this race was actually better than most is that while it was a little touch and go there for a while, the drivers were actually correctly penalized throughout the race. And it felt like the drivers were held to rules correctly. And this is everything from George Russell to Max Verstappen to even the fact that they got track limits in very quickly. It felt, so whether or not you agree with the decisions, I personally felt like the FIA stewards decided to come and do their jobs today. And that will always improve my general enjoyment because as soon as they penalize Max, I didn't have to sit there fuming that, oh, of course, well, they don't penalize Max Verstappen. And Things like that really do ruin my personal racing experience when I know that some drivers get away with things other drivers don't. Big shout out to the speed of the decision making. Like I felt like it was efficient and effective and then was able to affect the race in real time. So it wasn't like we were just waiting for a bunch of meetings in the steward's office after and actually getting to see like proper refereeing. It's great. Yeah, always great. So this race was a lot of fun to watch. The track actually ended up being a ton of fun. And I think the convergence of these five things mixed in with like a well-timed safety car, of course, is going to help things. And something you've said, which is just general lack of knowledge from the teams going into this and really the cold helped. It was all, it worked out to be, this is the jackpot of the weekend. This is the best possible outcome. The fact that everything else aside, the two hours I spent watching this F1 race were a ton of fun. So much happened this week. So we decided we put together podiums of things that happened this week that I still genuinely can't believe actually happened this week. Because while they were happening, I was like, what is going on? And after they happened, I'm still left with a, did that actually happen? So this is the, did that actually happen? podium of the weekend. I'm sure there's a hundred things that could end up on this. And I'm sure there are things you're going to say that I'm going to be like, oh, that should be on my podium and vice versa. But really the goal here is to just be able to talk about six things that we're both like, I can't believe that actually happened. Exactly. So Nicole, what is your P3 moment? My P3 is uh, Max singing Viva Las Vegas on the radio. (laughs) Yep. Yep, I loved all the memes that everyone posted afterwards that's like Max grumpy all weekend, Max after he wins, and he's just like, uh, hello, I love this race, this race is so fun. Whoever the PR person who got to him, like, kudos to you. Yeah, it was such such an attitude switch of like, wow, we just want to burn the place down to Viva Las Vegas. It was crazy. (laughs) That's a great P3. All right, my P3 is also Max related. And it was that the FIA actually gave Max a penalty for doing something bad on track for the first time in about three years. <laughs> oh my I, God. I mean, like, obviously it was his fault. He deserved the penalty. Like, it took them long enough to do it. But I'm still like, wow, they 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 did it. I, I didn't know they were allowed to do that. I, I didn't think it was going to happen. It was like, oh, right. a five, five second, five second penalty. Oh, yeah. oh my gosh, for Max Verstappen? 
<laughs> too stunned to speak. All right, what was your P2? My P2? Seeing these drivers sit in this cool-down car with Checo in this red suit? <laughs> kind of <laughs> ultimate fever dream. I still can't believe they convinced Max Verstappen to wear an Elvis-themed red suit. It didn't process to me after, even when you sent the pictures to me, my initial response was, wow, why does everyone look like a McDonald's employee this year? And it wasn't like till the race where I was like, wow, oh my gosh, Max's belt around his race suit says Elvis. And then they're sitting in this car and I'm looking at Checo in the red and Charles in the red and I'm having this like weird like cognitive dissonance of like no, something doesn't feel right about this image like it, it looked weird it was just giving me like the heebie-jeebies <laughs> the, the whole the angle of it the angle of the shot just also made me feel like ways um yeah i mean there was so much i loved about the uh randomness and the glitz and glam of the vegas gp the having to take a limo to go to the bellagio because they paid to be the location for the post-race interviews probably wasn't my favorite decision even though i understand that some marketing exec paid a lot of money for it but i and i honestly just wish everyone was saltier after the race because i want you to stick a bunch of salty like race car drivers in a limo that close together that i want to see yeah opposite of cool down yeah um, my P2 moment is the fact that they actually kicked fans out uh, in Vegas at 1.30 a.m. claiming that it was, like, too late when the whole point of Vegas is it's open 24 hours. And we'll get more into this at a different point, but, like, I just, I couldn't have this podium and not have that on the podium where I'm like, what? What? Yeah. Uh, definitely. What? made no sense for literally Vegas. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know, but we'll, we'll get into all of that in a bit. All right. Do you want to do your P1 first? Yeah. Um, so my P1, I, I still could not believe this happened. And I, again, I kind of just take blame. Carlos free practice, all of it, just, just uh, all of it. The penalty. I predicted him on the podium immediately Wrong Ferrari driver just what and cuts me last week if I'm gonna pick a Ferrari driver I'm not gonna pick Charles because only bad things happen to Charles Ugh, I can't I can't I can't believe water cover manhole cover whatever all what how 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 is that happening nine minutes into a session Oh, no words, lots of words all at once. But I'll just give you my P1 of my I can't believe this happened podium. F1 on their national feed showing a sign that talks about Lewis Hamilton being an eight-time champion. I... Look, there are... We all know this. This is just a fact. We all know that Lewis should have his eight championships. The fact that the TV broadcast crew is now like, whatever, let's show the cute kid talking about the fact that Lewis Hamilton was robbed. Like, we're all just going to stop pretending now? Like, have we all agreed that we're all going to stop pretending now? Is this confirmation of that? And, like, whoever you are on the live feed who made that decision, just know that you had my jaw on the ground in a good way. 
so much meme content from this weekend. It's no surprise that the Vegas GP was like the most memeable thing that's ever probably memed. It's if it wasn't crazy, it would have been a failure. But yeah, we talked going into this that a key part of a rubric for this race being successful is that it's just silly enough that we can meme it. And I feel like it was definitely silly enough that we could meme it. Beyond, beyond. My P3 is Carlos Sainz dropping the trophy. <laughs> in the Netflix cup. My P3 is all of the Elvises in the paddock welcoming the drivers. <laughs> um, my P2 was sassy spear, is what I'm calling it. But it's whenever they would make the sphere look like slightly confused at something. And like... Like, my P2 is the FIA grid balcony box, whatever you want to label as, like, that FIA fence box with the red lights behind it. <laughs> yeah, that, that is definitely my honorable mentions. I just, like, it's so good. It's so good. Um, But my obvious P1 had to be uh, the limo. That was absolutely, it's one of my honorable mentions because my P1 is Checo and the announcer just absolutely froze in time. Every single, I felt like 16 of the 20 drivers didn't know what to do. And it felt like all 16 of them chose a different option when they didn't know what to do. And Checo's was the best. It was the best of the options. Alex Albon just kept walking. Logan's like, just go to that car. Just go to that car. Just go to that car. And Checo's like, I'm... How, this man will tell me what to do after he's done screaming my name in my face. <laughs> Logan? I'm pretty sure Logan is a Capricorn, and if he's not, that is the most Capricorn moment that any person could have. Like, did you not listen? You go right there, Alex. Like, Vegas had a lot of moments that were like an unbelievable dumpster fire. And I think I'm... I don't want to say okay with it, because I'm not okay with it. I'm not okay with a lot of the response and how things went down. But as I had said in my superlatives video, I expected a lot of this to happen. So part of me feels like, uh-huh, yeah, of course this was the first. With so much hype and buildup for the Las Vegas GP that they've been talking about for such a long time, you mean there's going to be an unbelievable mess up at free practice? The first one? Yeah, that sounds about on brand and correct. Yeah, I can't help but feel like F1 got away with one here, considering that Carlos wasn't injured, like no other driver was injured. Um, I put together a whole video on our social media feed about like all the times in recent history where this has happened at a street circuit. So the fact that the uh, track was approved without them coming up with a solution for this water valve cover that like, I think we all could have probably predicted that that would have happened is unbelievably frustrating to me. And we did say in our preview show, we were like this, Weekend would be a success if there is not a big safety issue. And guess what? <laughs> Immediately, day one, giant safety issue. Um, but this spiraled completely out of control because F1's PR management of it was unbelievably awful. I will say that if you and I paid thousands of dollars to go to a race and all we got was a $200 merch voucher that wasn't even equal to the cost of the ticket, I would have been unbelievably mad. You at least need to, if you're not going to refund someone, you at least need to give an equal value comp to what that is. Uh, we got three notices and no apologies. All of that being said... I can't, I was impressed that this was the only really nightmarish thing that happened to your point. 
And I think that it, the response to it was blown out of proportion because there are a lot of bad actors who just wanted this race to fail and they were able to latch onto this and get even more mad, sometimes even at the wrong people, just because it happened. So it's like one of those things where like social media creates a tornado and then like F1 does nothing in their PR management to stop the tornado. And then people who wanted this to fail got now get to point to this and say that it did fail because of this. And like the race was really fun. They figured it out. <laughs> like it all ended up being okay, except for those like couple thousand people who bought single day tickets and only saw eight minutes of on-track action. The one thing that we haven't gotten an explanation for that's really frustrating to me is I don't understand the whole point of Vegas is that it's up at astronomical parts in the night. If like if they actually ran the session at midnight like they were supposed to, the earliest people were going to get home is 2 a.m. anyway. So if it's really logistics in Vegas, a city that purposely never sleeps, like that that part... I still don't understand why they had to send police to clear out fans and the fans couldn't watch FP2 who waited. And I, it doesn't matter how many things I read that say logistics, I still don't understand it and I need someone to tell me what happened. But I, I don't even have the energy to be mad about it. Like, yeah, of course the FI track inspection didn't do a good job. Like, what are we talking about? Of course. Yeah, I think... The the one piece that I'm like trying to find reasoning in is my belief. This is my like armchair expert theory on as to like why the like pushing of the fans out had to happen was that like they were just so unbelievably understaffed that when they were about to hit like the legal limit, it's kind of like when you're waiting for a plane that's getting delayed and then suddenly your entire pilot and the, you know like flight crew staff have to be like all restaffed because they're about to hit like that 12 hour clock mark and they just didn't have enough people that were running transportation and security and everything like that so they literally just had to send everybody home because they didn't have enough people to cover that next bit but that's a good that it, but it also almost like doesn't make any sense because you just to, like pre-practice two was you know going to be ending so much later and it was yeah. just seems like there should have been ways that this was covered and my best pick could have been they were not prepared with the staff to cover people staying there longer but i don't think that's an excuse when you're doing a race in a city like vegas where you're purposely doing these races in the evening at these time points because it's vegas then you'd be prepared for that because there's no excuse for what people were charging and already this experience being so like misbalanced that anyone should miss a session let alone fp1 gets you know canceled after nine minutes that people especially like us who we were so excited about like oh my gosh vegas gp this is great i'd be so mad if we missed free practice we could yes. we went there we missed two free practice sessions we'd be fuming clash action lawsuit is very fitting it's really great f1's response was very disheartening to me that it wasn't like any sort of like apology and it was a lot of excuses and there's just certain ways that you handle this type of thing so I think for anyone that has been there this week, I don't know if they'll be able to change their perception of their experience of this race. But as someone that was not there, I feel that there can be a lot of lessons learned from these unbelievable hiccups and mess ups that will make a better F1 Grand Prix in the future for when I do go. Because I think there's, as we've discussed, too much of an investment for this to continue to be such an unbelievable dumpster fire.
the people who are there, like you are well within your right to be really pissed off about this and to be really annoyed. But it's, uh, it will constantly baffle me that we, F1 at this point does a lot of street circus circuits, have done a, done a lot of new street circuits. And it seems like the first year at every street circus has, you know, they forget that these are rocket ships that have insane downforce and that will bring things up like this. So I'm just- This is street. The street has street things. What do you mean? There's street <laughs> things on the street that people- It's crazy. Really? We only laugh every year that someone's job is to like weld down the potholes in Monaco for this reason. So it's, um, but I'm just, I'm super thankful that no one got hurt, you know, whether a fan and Carlos, like the fact that there was a hole at the bottom of the car and it didn't even hit him is a miracle. Like, so like in the end of all these shenanigans that could have happened, this was awful, but wasn't as awful as it could have been. I'm not stressed about the best liveries podium. I'm stressed about the fact that I don't like most of the liveries. So I had to put things on the podium and I really just don't know if my, like I really like my P1 and I don't know if my P2 and P3 are worthy of being on a podium. That's what's stressing me out about this. <laughs> I feel so confident in these choices. I have, I don't think I've ever done a podium so fast. So that's like really interesting that you and I are like in such different places for a podium because I did this in maybe under a minute. I just don't love when I don't love all of my P3. Like, I don't think my P3, which I'll start with right now, I don't think I would normally put that on a podium for something like this. Mm -hmm. And my P3 okay. is the Red Bull livery. Also my P3. Okay. <laughs> For a Red Bull livery, I liked it. I liked the whooshy lines. Like, it was fine. It was I better than some of the other ones. <laughs> I love the idea that a, th that a fan most likely made this yes. on Canva. Like, <laughs> I love that a fan made it. I also love that they definitely used Canva probably to do it. Mm -hmm. Like, or just a simple, you know, dragging in Photoshop of, like, the neon. Like, the every single Photoshop app has this. So it just gives me encouragement of like, I could do that. So maybe next year. And it just also yeah. leaned into the vibe. It was the Red Bull That's livery, good. you know, I liked it more than co their Coda ones. When so in the terms of like yes. where it's falling in there, I, it's definitely my favorite ones of the fan made of the Red Bull series. Right. And I don't actually blame the fan for that. I just mm -mm. feel like Red Bull wants like the most base basic design ever. But okay, so since I revealed both of our p3s you start with your p2 so my p2 is the alfatari livery that oh, you look so stunned i feel like why okay i'm, I'm in i won't say why i'm so tense say say why it's your p2 first i don't want to um, I really loved this, the way that they somehow were able to make a black and white livery look like a set of moving lights. Like when you're driving oh down gosh, the strip yes. and like the lights are flying past you or just anything in Vegas, like they were able to create that in the livery. I thought like the merch that they had to go with, it was really, really cool. And usually when Alphatari does liveries, I'm not impressed at all. And this, I thought they did a great job of doing somehow the most minimal 
Vegas GP livery possible with it being so very Vegas. My stunned face was because to me, this was so clear and obvious, the P1. This is my P1. I figured, right. <laughs> like, I was like, how is this only your P2? I don't understand because this is one of the most creative liveries I have ever seen just happen. Like, it doesn't matter that it was Vegas. Like, this was just so cool. Yes, uh, you are forgetting. Um, well, now I don't want to jump, but I am inferring that we potentially may have like a similar P2 to P1. So what's your P2? Um, my P2 is the Alpha. And I'm going to guess that's your P1. <laughs> it is my P1. Because if there's anything in the world that I absolutely love, it's an unbelievably, like, let's lean into the Chuggy Vegas vibes and a black <laughs> livery. And oh my yes. god, they did both. And I love the race cool. suits. Like, it was what I wanted. I And it also came later, I think. It was one of the last liveries to be revealed in last week's episode. We still hadn't seen it. Like in our yellow sector notes, it was they're doing something. Mm -hmm. And when it re was revealed, I was like, yes, a Vegas livery. They did the thing. So that's why it's my P1. It was very clearly my P2. My stress about this podium was I didn't feel like the Red Bull was deserving of a podium spot. But my only other thing I was thinking about flipping it out for was the lame McLaren livery. With like all the, I don't know. Yeah, I was disappointed. I was shocked that in a race weekend where seven teams did special liveries that I was really only obsessed with two of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, I felt like there was going to be so many options and uh, there weren't. And I feel like people are going to be like, but what about Williams? I'm going to be like, yeah, okay, the clip art was fine, I guess. I just, you know. I've seen Williams even do better. Like if we're going for like clip art vibes, then I thought that Red Bull did it better is really what the decision was. Agreed. McLaren's livery wasn't even really a livery. <laughs> they just put a bunch of Jack Daniels stickers on it. And they took away the paint. Like, I don't... There was, there, I had a lot of questions this week about decisions, and that was one of them. When we were getting started to do this, and right before we just hit live now, Nicole just went, my P2 gets interesting. So we're going to talk about favorite helmets of the weekend, because despite a very down year for drivers bringing specialty helmets, a lot of drivers did bring specialty helmets this weekend. Which we had high expectations for, and some of them delivered. I do have an honorable mention. I will save it for the end. Same, as do I. But my P3 is Esteban Ocon's Deadpool helmet. While I loved that this exists, they're just the P2 and P1 I squealed about more. Like if like I loved the marketing for this. I loved that he was able to give it to Ryan Reynolds, like we talked about in the last episode. I just love that Esteban loves Marvel and comics. But the helmet itself I thought was worthy of being on the podium, but only a P3. Fair. Uh my P3 is Alex's Vegas sketch style helmet. I love that it kind of got the desert vibes and then the strip vibes. It also looked adorable. It's a great color. And Alex has just really great design helmets. 
He does. Yeah. He goes, he always goes for like a busier option, but it's always fun, busy, not like cluttered, busy. Alex Albon, ever since he even had to work in the ugly Red Bull logo, has always known how to create a design around the sponsors. And I, I think that's such a talent for yes. whoever him on his team or whoever on his team is good at laying that out and executing that vision. All right. This is where I know it's going to probably get controversial, but my P2 is very clearly Lance Stroll. I'm I am shocked. It's only your P2. I, it was P1 for a while, but the P1, I think, is much more deserving of P1. I am so obsessed with Lance, Lance's design in general I love. So the fact that he just took his design and made it like neon in such a fun way and the glowing bright green, I just... No, I love it. I love it. There's nothing else to say except that I saw it. I loved it. And I know that it's not necessarily the most creative option, but I don't care because I would actually buy it. I think it's very rare that I see like a helmet design or a one-off special design that I'm like, I would want to put that on my shelf. And that's one of them. <laughs> what was your P2? So my P2, um, breaking fourth wall, I will do my own sounders here because this okay. is just, we're committing here. My P2 is glitter helmets i won't pick they're all so incredible their existence deserves to be on the podium so i will not That's pick fair. fernando valtteri's space helmet george's blue sparkle helmet checo's ferrari drivers get like 20 percent of it glitter helmets are always the vibe glitter helmets are always podium worthy and oh my god vegas yeah. is the place to do it so all of them you're 100% right that I feel like at this point, I'm so used to drivers to just putting glitter on things that I like I'm looking at the rest of it. But like George Russell, just like making his helmet, the glitter version of his helmet is freaking sick. And if I wasn't so used to it probably would be on my podium. So I apologize for the lack of glitter mentioned on my podium because everything should just be glitter. They should never right. run their normal versions. Which is why it, the whole, all of the, the concept is my podium yes. P2, yeah. because that just, it should be always the default the option should just be glitter. Okay. So I have a feeling here that both of us have the same P1, but I will say mine is very clearly Daniel Ricardo. Is yours too? This is so unbelievably spicy. My P1 is Esteban Ocon's Deadpool helmet. We legitimately Daniel Ricardo is not on your podium when Dan he literally had reflective strips. So when it goes under the light, it looks cooler. What are you talking about, Miss Daniel Ricardo herself? Like I don't. I mean, I know you love this. Oh my gosh! I do love this. It is my honorable mention because <gasps> because here's the thing. Daniel Ricardo should have had a one-off design for this race. I love any opportunity for there to be like Chrome and the SpongeBob memes and everything like that. And it is an absolutely beautiful helmet, but Daniel Ricardo not having a specific Vegas standalone, the man that six years ago wanted a race in Vegas doesn't have a Vegas specific themed helmet. I loved it, but like, I, why, how, how is there not a shoey bar on his helmet? Well, well, I mean, for starters, I don't think he realized he was racing in Vegas until recently, and I think it's hard to 
pull together new dis- what but i also like i have this like unbelievably hot take that i really think daniel ricardo had no interest in racing in vegas like i think he said this thing six years ago and everyone wanted to bring it up all race weekend and every time he was asked about it he seemed kind of grumpy so like i don't know if he already knows he's getting the red bull seat and he needs to take on max verstappen's personality like up front already but like he was so admittedly like not daniel ricardo giddy in like every interview this week and grumpy whenever anyone brought up him wanting to race in vegas so like my hot take is i don't think daniel ricardo actually cares about racing in vegas at all well i think everyone was blaming him come thursday night friday morning people were like well thanks danny rick that's the reason why you're here you love america so much i saw a lot of ugly discourse like that um so i needed more glitter i needed yeah so it's not my p1 because i wanted more from him and Ocon is my P1 because legitimately flashback to our episode of like having a that so Raven moment of Esteban Ocon doing a Deadpool helmet and he did it. So that manifestation deserves a P1 for me. Hey podcast listeners, Gossip Grid here, your guide to F1's paddock elites. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Gossip Grid. And oh my gosh, I think it is potentially like the most anticipated Gossip Grid of the entire year. There are going to be things that I miss. There are going to be things that I forget. And it has been something I've been nervous about all weekend. But we're just going to thrive on what we have here because it's already a jam-packed list. Okay, so we're first going to talk about all of the Gossip Grid celebrity mania news that went down this weekend. First thing we have to get over is that Motorcore is alive and thriving because almost every celebrity is wearing some type of leather on the grid. So it's their go-to. Motorcore is still hot and going at it. Um, the Netflix Cup happened. We talked about it in last week's episode, but Burt Kreischer and Marshawn Lynch were reacting to F1 driver fits. They were basically roasting all of them, especially Pierre. They really, really went for it. And then they got to what used to be my favorite Lewis Hamilton fit, his glitter fit from Miami. And Burt just says, you can't deny this guy's a legend. He just knows better than I do. And you know what? Same. Me too. And that's everything that's correct. At the opening ceremonies, Marshmallow walked the red carpet, even though it was actually a black carpet, but everyone kept calling it a red carpet. I just need to say that with Ferrari and Alpine. And oh my goodness, I can't believe I've gotten this far into gospel without talking about Rihanna was at a race. Rihanna was there. Rihanna, Queen Rihanna. I gasped. I gasped. My jaw hit the ground. It was great. It was beautiful. I could not believe that she was there. I mean, I can't believe for all of the reasons it just felt like a long time coming. Finally at a race, she also attended the launch event, which was the night before. <laughs> Excuse me. For ASAP Rocky's new Puma X and the um, F1 collection. He also had this insane next level arrival. Definitely look up him arriving covered in like all of this smoke and in the car and he's getting out. It's definitely a big extravaganza. Tom Brady, I think, is Logan Sargent's dad. Um, that's kind of what I've learned this weekend. Okay, not actually, but Tom Brady was supposed to be in Vegas, didn't end up going to Vegas, so he FaceTimed uh, Logan before the race, wishing him good luck. And, you know, Florida boy to Florida boy, but honestly, I think they're related. They look a lot alike. Do both have sketchy Florida connections? Not, not impossible. Terry Crews did a hot lap with Liam Lawson. Liam Lawson put on a thousand miles by Vanessa Carlton before the hot lap began. So channeling white chicks in just the most iconic scene in cinema history. People's apparent sexiest man alive because apparently no one told me that Pedro Pascal is like only in my imagination. Patrick Dempsey gave Charles Leclerc the Pirelli Pole Award. 
Rob McElhenney and Caitlin Olson, Olson, Alpine Investor and Always Sunny's Finest, had attended this year's race, which was basically expected since they did their investment, announced their investment to Alpine over the summer. Valtteri Bottas helped give a haircut with a celebrity hairstylist in the middle of casino, Matthew Collins. David Beckham was filming Ashton Martin Pit Stops. And David Beckham also hosted a party Saturday night with Shaq. And Shaq then had his on-track interview that all led to Lewis Hamilton Baby. So another incredible Shaq iconic moment where he's saying all that really needs to be said. Lupita Nyong'o was rocking the Chanel embroidered F1 shirt from the collection that was earlier this year. And so it really had like a the perfect paddock fit for a uh, for an F1 fan. Jameson Idris and Tommy Hilfiger visited the Mercedes garage. Dak Shepard, Nina Dobrev, and Sean White were guests at the Alfa Romeo garage. Gordon Ramsay filmed a TikTok with Susie, who doesn't like store-bought pesto, and he also doesn't like store-bought pesto. Justin Bieber waved the checkered flag. And then there's like an, a mile-long list of celebrities that were also just there and like breathed the same air as all of the other drivers. And we could be here forever if we talked about Lisa Vanderpump, Usain Bolt, Lindsay Vaughn, Axel Rose, Simone, Ashley James, Mars and Paris, Helen, Heidi Klum, Rod Stewart, Stevie Oki, Martin Garrick, Tardobin, Kylie Bino, Brad Pitt, Anderson Pack, and like everybody else that I also didn't mention who also performed at the opening ceremonies. It's just a lot. And we just don't have time. But we will wrap it up with the king of everything who just, he just does it all correct and right. Lewis Hamilton's fits. Valentino from day one. This black cape option, I need this. The custom Bottega red fit for Quali. The custom Burberry glitter set. Are you kidding me? I didn't think he could outdo Miami and he did it. Lewis, I need this outfit. I need it now. Give me the Burberry sparkle tracksuit. And how did you not continue to wear that out the rest of the night? Oh, because he also had a Valentino Vegas GP outfit that probably custom. It's Vegas. I'll put money on it. It's custom. When he went on clubbing with Diplo. So Lewis Hamilton just went above and beyond everything he ever needed to do. Um, and just the king of everything in the paddock. And uh, wow, I feel tired. I feel like I missed a whole bunch. And that's the Gossip Grid Celebrity Edition. That was really impressive. Thank you. You got so much information packed in there. You know, like a really limited amount of time. Well, I have a three, two, and one, and like seventeen honorable mentions, but like, <laughs> but I was able to to pick, um, and it was really, really difficult. So what's your, all right, so F1 really did utilize the sphere, which we were hoping for and requested to do, and boy, oh boy, did they do it. It was the main character of the weekend. Yes, it definitely was a very prominent feature in every single shot everywhere. Um, So best things that were put on the Vegas sphere throughout the weekend, what was your P3? My P3 was the super cool Aston Martin ad that started with the smoke and then the glass broke and it revealed the Aston Martin F1 car like through smoke. It really made use of the 3D effect that you could do with the spear. Yes, definitely. All the team stuff was like super sick. Um, What was your P3? My my P3 is, I think just because it became such a hysterical photo, is when it was a Paramount Plus ad and you have SpongeBob and Patrick just going like, no, it's no, okay. I, I no. accidentally clicked it. <laughs> Keep talking. <laughs> uh, Paramount Plus ad with SpongeBob and Patrick going, ooh. Uh, just it created the most incredible shot on the Ferrari account of, I believe it's Carlos Sainz driving and you just have Patrick and SpongeBob like gigantic in the background. That was such great a great job by Paramount. So much so that it's actually my P2. <laughs> 
Because I just, I loved that they could have put anything up there and they chose to do that shot of SpongeBob Patrick because they knew it was going to be memeable. It was great, great marketing. Absolutely uh, incredible. Well, my P2 is just like the entire intro Vegas F1 graphic, that full neon light graphic design like that they really introduced at the opening ceremonies was just sick. Unbelievably sick. I agree. Yeah. I think that like, there were three uses of the sphere this week. There was like marketing and sponsorship. And then there was like F1 using its graphics. And then there was the, the face, the like spears emoji face. But like, I think F1 was really creative with all the different ways they used it this weekend. And that, to your point, I think was one of their best. All right. My P1 though, is when they put a racing helmet on the little emoji guy. That's also my P1. <laughs> it was so cute and so smart and so fun. And he always looked so sassy and then so happy, but he was wearing a little racing hat and I loved it. We were so excited to already have like the sassy emoji face, like potentially happen when like Charles had a moment or something. The fact that they put a racing helmet on this emoji's face is unbelievable. Created just like the perfect spectator viewpoint. 100%. So some rapid fire honorable mentions that we didn't mention here. Um, the Mercedes choice of ads where they just put the Mercedes star with like all the fun backgrounds was unbelievably sick. Um, they did the full F1 title sequence on it. Uh, it could have been better, but I just liked that they did it. And then F1 edited it together to like be correctly timed with the music. Um, the Chrome logo with the little McLaren cars driving around it. Like Chrome understands that it's a circle logo and it, they put it on a circle spear. It was sick. And last but not least, the fact that during the race, they like put things like when there was a yellow flag, they made the whole spear a yellow flag was really smart, really fun. And do you remember when like the spear wasn't supposed to use the colors red, yellow, or blue at any point? And the fact that they used it the entire race just deserves an overall honorable mention for me because like, Clearly, there was some miscommunication between the FIAs asking them to do that and then them saying, nah, no thanks. And I yeah. find that funny. Giant yellow face. I'm like, well, that's still definitely yellow. Uh, but my uh -huh. honorable mention was, wow, an actual use? The yellow flag, the checkered flag. I, oh, actually, so it might have cool. been also the yellow flag. I was like, well, I guess that's helpful if it's yellow there. Yeah. But Interesting. Um, so shout out to the really Sphere. Can't wait to see how it continues to, you know, really be involved in future F1 yeah. races. There were so many good marketing moments this weekend or sponsorship announcements or just like things in general that like scratched the marketing itch in my brain that makes me so happy that I can't believe I only wrote down one. You're like, so I only have overwhelmed. My Yes. I was so overwhelmed and what my P1 is was so head and shoulders beyond everyone else that like I think I was just like eh, when I was doing this earlier. Hey well I have a, um, an honorable mention and a full podium so we can start with I'll rapid fire my P3 P2 um, okay. and then we can uh, see what That's your cute. the thing that stood out to you amongst absolutely every single marketing extravaganza thing that happened this weekend in Vegas. Um, I'm sure you'll be able to figure it out. <laughs> so my P3? my P3 is Lando's helmet collab with Mischief. I didn't realize his helmet was a collab. 
Right. So fun fact about me, I am obsessed with the mischief company. I we don't have time to explain like their entire deal and why they exist and just all of their drops and stuff, but it's on my bucket list to one day own one of the things that they do in their drops. I'm very confused as to how like the snake helmet is tied to mischief because it doesn't necessarily feel like what their brand does and everything because it's usually like a satirical joke and not snakes in the desert. But interesting and it's very on the nose yeah it feels very on the nose but lando and mischief seem like a really good pairing together so i'm sure there will be more i got a notification from the mischief app i was like this isn't a drop this is telling me to look at lando's helmet (laughs) i meant to say when we did our favorite helmets that lando norris's helmet was my honorable mention i thought it was very cool and i liked that he didn't go casino he chose a different option yeah all right what's your p2 my P2 is the Rolling Stones and Ashton Martin collab. Yeah. It is what an incredible pairing of having their logo all throughout the garage and livery on like just the helmets on the wall promoting their new album. Oh, absolutely incredible. Yeah. That almost ended up on my list, but really everything was trumped by this P1, which all I wrote here was a Lewis Hamilton racing event. because lewis hamilton ruled this weekend so he did a pop-up shop for his plus 44 line that had a mascot walking around and like i don't you, you guys might not have been listening since the miami gp episode to know that like there's really very few things in this world that nicole and i both love more than a mascot if you put a mascot somewhere we are gonna get hyped then he was announced as being a part of Fortnite now with Roscoe. Then he also announced that he's going to be a part of Rocket League. And then he did a collab with Race Weekend Magazine, which is just a really cool company. And then on top of that, he did a bar for his new non-alcoholic spirit line, Almave. And he went to the bar and he made drinks and like... Like, it was a Lewis Hamilton racing event. Nothing else mattered. So by the time I got to P2 after writing Lewis Hamilton racing event, I just went, okay. I don't know what else to talk about. Yeah, you could have done the whole thing. My P1 is the Fortnite. I mean, Roscoe is in Fortnite. Nothing else really matters. But I do think it is really important for me to mention my honorable mention because it's a marketing thing that worked. I did buy the Valtteri Botas butt calendar. So I'll keep you posted when that arrives. And it's for charity, but it works. That was deserving of the P1, even though it was an honorable mention. I am so glad you bought this because, like, you are the target audience for this because of how much you love VB and you love silly marketing things and, like, Yes, yes, 100% yes. I now need to come up with a new Alfa Romeo point for our Yellow Sector notes, but I don't care because I am so excited. <laughs> and I know Nicole will do an unboxing when she gets it for uh, social media. So at Gridwalk Show. Stay tuned to that. that. <laughs> hey, podcast listeners. Gossip Grid here, your guide to F1's paddock elites. Oh, we're back again. Some more Gossip Grid because we had to separate this into two segments because there's just so much stuff going on all the time in the world of F1 and pop culture, particularly for the Las Vegas GP. And so now we're going to talk about kind of like the newsy area. Who's talking about F1? Where are we seeing F1 drivers doing F1 things? Uh, we talk in this episode about the CNBC documentary, so we don't need to talk about that here. The Braun docuseries, if you haven't started it already, we will be diving into it later this week, but it is so fun. It's so great. I love Keanu Reeves, and my dad's really enjoying it too. So Papa Cats is getting into Formula One. 
So a lot of different news outlets were talking about everything that was happening in Vegas, particularly Thursday night. We were getting news articles with ABC News, Sports Illustrated, Yahoo News, AP News, CNBC was writing articles about it. Every single sports outlet you could think of had an article about it. I'm still in shock as CNN's coverage of Formula One continues to grow and they were posting about Vegas literally all weekend. I have to give an unbelievable shout out to GQ Sports for keeping me alive with all of the content. This weekend, they knew what to do, where to go, who to ask, and what to be doing. They How to had find Lewis Hamilton as quickly as possible and give us that content. They were basically on the Lewis Hamilton beat, and I loved it. Yeah, GQ Sports, you definitely have like something in your ear that's like, Lewis is arriving, we need to go, we need to film his outfit, what is he wearing, we have to get him. So GQ Sports was really kicking it off last week really strong with Oscar Piastri going over all of these different racing movies and it really enlightened me that I need more F1 drivers breaking down some sort of scene from Cars that explains why Lightning McQueen did something either illegal, correct, or just like why the strategy was the way that it was. Because Lightning McQueen refusing to change his tires to discuss the reasoning behind F1's pit stops is such an incredibly fun idea. Um, and Oscar Piastri made it very clear that he has seen cars multiple times and knows how this one ends. So Oscar Piastri gave a really great, lighthearted, fun interview on GP Sports. Definitely showcasing his personality. It's great to see where he's grown from the start of the year until now. Also featured on uh, GQ Sports, ASAP Rocky was all over the place this weekend, and he was asking, um, what are your three essential items that you need to bring to any race weekend? Uh, Chapstick, uh, Balakala, which is like the face mask, and then he said what I just thought was like the biggest flex, the new, uh, himself, which is the newest addition to the whole culture and sport, and without him, it ain't lit no more. So ASAP Rocky needs to bring himself to every single F1 race, which was just such a great, unbelievable flex. Also, if you're curious of what it looks like to be driving on the F1 circuit in Vegas, GQ Sports filmed an entire POV video so you can be a driver, see exactly what that's like. The Bleacher Report was also another crazy outlet that was all over the place. They were asking Joe what drivers are most likely to do what. So Max is most likely to be late. Nico's most likely to get a speeding ticket. And no surprise, as he said, there's no explanation. Him and Lewis would be most likely to be in Paris Fashion Week. Logan Sargent thinks that Ricky Bobby is faster than Lightning McQueen. Lose Yourself is the first song that he puts on when he's in the car, and he also plays Toad when he's playing Mario Kart. All of those things are incredibly predictable for him. George Russell, the last celebrity that he has texted, was David Beckham. He's gotten five speeding tickets in his life, which is somehow surprising and not surprising at all. And George Russell's most surprising thing about Americans that he just really doesn't understand is he thinks Americans are so positive. And I'm confused of what Americans George Russell is really interacting with. That's his official takeaway. And then my last little bit of F1 driver content that we got from all these different news outlets. Alex Albon was asked to draw his most ridiculous, impossible F1 track. And when asked to draw the hardest track, he led to the creation of Rail the Snail. When it is basically just this giant, twisty turn of a track that looks like a snail with really impossible turns. And he said Williams will finish P19 and P20 on this track. Alex Albon, king of content. I think this gossip grid has forced me to need to lay down. I definitely forgot things. Sorry if I missed some of your favorites. There was so much in store. I need a nap. Until next time, gossip grid will catch you later. 
right, we had a lot of fun last week doing prop bets and not just our normal predictions for the Vegas GP. So we're going to run through them. I think some of them are a little subjective, so we have to figure out what the answer is here. Um, but we'll see how we did. So for starters, will the same driver win the Grand Prix and get on pole? I said yes. Nicole said no. Nicole was right because she predicted Charles the Ferrari. Got pole. As yeah. soon as it happened, I was like, got him. Yep. I marked that as a positive on the prop bets on se- like before the race even happened. Friday, whatever like, day yep. that was. Yeah. Um, 0.5 or more over under 0.5 crashes due to the pit lane exit. I don't think we had any chaos due to the pit lane exit at all, which means we're both wrong. It was an under. It was towards lap like 36 or 40. I was like, wow, I really thought we were going to be talking about this pit lane exit like the whole time. Right. As soon as we got through practice without any chaos, even though not a ton of practice happened, I was like, yeah. Uh, all right, over under 3.5 race day DNFs. You went under, you were correct. Um, I felt like there were going to be that many DNFs, but everyone just kept getting back in the race. It was just, there was a lot of nose replacements. There was a lot of like, well, there's damage here, but we'll keep racing and keep going. Keep yeah. go- People were going to crawl through that finish line. Sure. Uh, over under 0.5 engine related DNFs. We both said over, and we were both wrong. We, yeah. They were just driver errors. All right, over under Super Bowl mentions in the F1 TV race broadcast. And the line was set at 1.5. We both went with under. And we were both correct. I don't think they, I didn't hear them mention the Super Bowl once, right? I don't, I don't recall, like, it yeah. being mentioned at all. So I also want us to be right, but someone can tell us if we were wrong, if they said the Super Bowl twice, but I don't think they did. Yeah, please tell us in the comments, because I have to admit that I don't listen to a lot of the race commentary. It's mostly, it's it's very soft, and Lewis Hamilton's radio is very loud. Um, All right. Yes, no, sparkles or glitter on the Pirelli podium hat. I said yes, Cole said no, and uh, there, there were not. I have to talk about the fact that the hat did look like a knockoff version of the normal hat. It felt like they went to like one of those stores, you know, when you go to Disney and there's all the like stores around Disney that sells like sort of Mickey Mouse, but not Mickey Mouse. So they can't hit with the copyright claim. It felt like the Pirelli hat was the like almost the Pirelli hat, but they didn't want to get hit with the copyright claim. So this is what I think happened. I think someone at Pirelli listens to Gridwalk heard that we had a prop bet about this and they were like, oh my God, we need special hats for this. And then they went to a mall and they were like, here's the Pirelli <laughs> logo, make it gold. And then they got three that hats made. <laughs> so, I like yeah. that it was gold, but it just, it it felt less sparkly than, uh, yeah, I don't know. So, um... Over under 0.5 Lewis Hamilton custom-made outfits. We both went with over. We were both correct because Saturday and Sunday had custom parts of it. Well, sorry, Quali and the race because I guess it's technically Friday. And so I don't know. It's confusing. What day is it? Yeah. And finally, an Elvis impersonator will be involved in the pre or post race. I said, no, you said yes. Shockingly, I was right. Even though there were Elvises involved with the paddock the entire race weekend, they did not do anything pre or post race that we saw on the broadcast. So but I, that honestly feels like a caveat that I won there, like because we were specific, not because like 
I actually want. Like Elvis was very involved this weekend. Christian Horner was calling Max Elvis like on the radio. So I don't know what you're talking about. Elvis was at the podium celebration. He was literally <laughs> P1. He's right there. He's, so it's, yes, we want his belt said Elvis. Like, what do you mean? So did Checos. There were yeah. two Elvis. Yeah, there were two Elvis over on Elvis. Yeah, you know what? You know what? I'll give it to you just because because that's incredible. And I loved how uncomfortable it made Max Verstappen that Christian Horner kept calling him Elvis because of the marketing deal. Uh, but let us know if you enjoyed prop bets. And if so, uh, for the 2024 season, we'll do them much more often. CNBC put out a 30 plus minute documentary on mostly the business and marketing side of F1. They released it coinciding with the Vegas GP this weekend. It came out after we dropped last week's episode. So that's why we didn't talk about it in the buildup, even though this kind of classifies as something that happened in the buildup. Uh, it clearly is something that they had been working on for a long time because they had clips from Miami, from Silverstone. Um, it was all over the season that they've been interviewing a huge number of heavy hitter F1 people. So like, yes, it was Zach Brown and Toto Wolff and Christian Horner, but also Stefano and the head of Liberty Media. And like they, they got all the heavy hitters to talk about the business and the investment that F1 is making right now into growing their sport. And I took away three major headlines from this uh, that I don't know if these are everyone's headlines, but these were my personal things that made me go, ooh, and I really wanted to talk to Nicole about them. So the first thing is it has been estimated that F1 invested $500 million in the Las Vegas GP weekend. And they actually said that it was much more than that at $600 million being invested in Vegas. So. We know that they created this building that's going to be up year round, that's going to be like their U.S. headquarters, and there's a 10-year Vegas contract. But this still makes me wonder what percent of that $600 million is on this like overall investment in building up that building and everything versus how much does it actually cost for them to operate the Vegas GP every year? Like next year, is it? it's not going to be $600 million, but is it going to be $400 million? Like how much? <laughs> Were you also stunned? Yeah, I, I was also stunned because I was like, had the same questions of, okay, well, what does this include? Does this include the entire brand new building and everything that was involved in, you know, F1 establishing their claim and stake in the Las Vegas community? I will be intrigued to see as like the coming weeks, you know, go on what profit and revenue information we do get from this race because i think given the fiasco with tickets and how that was like really seemed to be like a late in the game push to be like getting all of that done i'm, I'm curious to see if there was any sort of return on this and how that will impact the spending moving forward i mean 10 years is a really long time and f1 clearly set the bar very high for a very extravagant race of you know fireworks going off of every single building down the las vegas strip so i think the bar is set expensively high um and you want to be able to maintain that so i think i i gotta think there's got to be like a drastic drop because it can't remain at like a 600 million dollar estimate that's just not sustainable when you aren't sell at like if you're not selling out every session well and I mean, I have to think at least 70% of that was infrastructure long that will 
that it's a one-time investment. But even that, like if, if I just start doing rough math on like the number of tickets sold and let's say F1 gets even 50% of the ticket sales, which even feels high, like 50% of the revenue generated from ticket sales is what I meant to say. Like that even seems high. Like there's no way that they could cover costs on a hundred million dollar race with the number of tickets they're selling, even at the cost of those tickets right now. Because they even said that there were only there weren't even a thousand general admission tickets. Um, F one said that their attendance this weekend was about three hundred and fifty thousand, and that's like if you sum up all three days together. But still, like the math isn't mathing, so there's no way that I'm. It has to be that a large percentage of that is one time cost investment in this. But I, I don't know. I, the number blew my socks off, even knowing that they cared a lot to invest in this. I still, and I had heard the half a billion dollars figure being thrown around, but for Liberty to basically just say, nope, it's actually more than that. I was like, ah, plot twist, actually more. We love Vegas. We're going to be here for a while, which is also why I think they're going to learn a lot from everything that happened this year is because they have to. All right. Thing number two. We heard rumors that there was a closed door meeting between Roger Goodell, who is the commissioner of the NFL, and all the team principals and major players in F1 at the Miami GP, I believe it was, earlier this year. It was Miami or Coda. Um, But it was a closed door meeting and nothing said has gotten out. But Sarah Eisen, who hosted this whole show, got us a little bit which is that Roger Goodell was explaining to them the NFL's policy, but which is that on Sunday, they fight each other, but on Monday, it's all about what in the NFL they call as the shield. So all the team owners and executives become a united front. And one, I was shocked that we finally heard a little bit of something that they were talking about. And two, it really got me thinking about the dynamic in F1 of their PR personas compared to the NFL. So I'm mad at the NFL all the time, but they handle it so much better. Their PR is so much better and does such a better job at making me less angry at them. And part of that I've identified is it's because the NFL is a united front, they don't use their journalists normally as PR extensions. They allow journalists to do their job and be journalists but we hear the correct PR statements from the team and the league jointly all the time. F1 has this weird relationship, um, and I won't, I won't get too much into 2021, where all the teams and drivers are just constantly complaining and fighting with each other. And then F1 is forced to use their like talking head journalists of Sky Sports to be their PR arm, which creates so much distrust from us as a fan base, because we know that a lot of these journalists in the paddock are just talking heads for F1. And it just creates this whole environment of distrust with everything that is going on. So one, I was excited to hear what some of the things that were actually discussed in this closed door meeting. Um, But then I was also, it just got me off on this tangent of PR and I wanted to throw it to you, Nicole, which is, do you think F1 could ever operate in the way the F1 operates where like everyone's on the same page, giving the same PR statements about anything? And then should they operate that way? (laughs) I, 
The should is an imp- is an interesting part of it. I to the first part, I don't think it's possible for F one to ever operate this way. There is such a power of personalities, and not to say that the NFL doesn't, but the NFL is structured in such a way that like mm-hmm. it's a no nonsense type of place. Um, F one likes to pretend to be no nonsense when its fuel is nonsense. Right. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a beautiful way of putting it, Nicole. So there's certain ways that I think, you know, F1 can learn from the NFL on ways of I think that they can learn to issue statements faster. I think that they can learn of what fan bases need to be hearing from. And I think it's very, you know, evident from this weekend that they're still learning about a lot of how to issue a proper statement. Um Not that the NFL is absolutely perfect on it, but I think they've just gotten to a better science. And it's also so huge. Like when you have 32 like teams and you're, you know, dealing with 10 that basically feel like 32 sometimes, it is such a different realm of things. So I don't think everyone should necessarily operate in the exact same way as the NFL, because I think it is just in terms of sizing's different. The product's different. Your customer is a little bit different. I think you'd really annoy a very large percent of the fan base. Um, if you begin to operate like the NFL operates, um, but just, yeah. I think the biggest difference that's preventing them from, to your point of like, could NFL operate this way is that the NFL owns its regulators. So the NFL and the referees are the same thing. And the NFL punishes teams if something goes wrong. Um, The FIA being a separate entity with different business interests and different goals than F1, in my opinion, is really what puts a wedge in this, particularly because the FIA hasn't been seen to regulate consistently. So if certain teams... Certain teams know that the bigger of stink they make, the more likely it is. There is a one-to-one correlation between creating a stink and the FIA listening to you. So, so much of it comes down to, like, it would be better for F1 if they could have a united front. But because they all don't trust the FIA to regulate, they can't be a united front because they need to create the stink to get the regulatory body to do what they need to do. Um, And that, I think, as a fan is very entertaining and also frustrating. And like, I don't like for, to your point, like nonsense and drama is part of what makes this fun. And if they were all this perfect PR machine, then there would be a lot less of that. But I think it's gonna be interesting to see if they can implement some of the practices because I would love to see a journalist core that feels freer to not be the PR machine for F1, like, so whatever F1 can do to stop using its journalist arm as a PR arm and start being that for themselves, I think will be better for the sport. And Lewis Hamilton's an eight-time world champion. Um, So the last big thing from the CNBC doc here that I wanted to talk about is, again, they reiterated the percentage of female fans. Their most up-to-date number is they think that 40% of female fans, 40% of F1 fans are female. Uh, This number puts them about on par with the numbers that the NFL, which says they're 48%, and the NBA, which says they're 42%. So it puts them on par or close to the big American sports leagues. Um, I will give the caveat that they keep using this 40% number, but they're not telling me how they measure this. 
or how they're they're how they're coming up with that number it could be a lot more actually and just based on like online discourse it feels like a lot more if i'm being completely frank uh feels at least closer to 50 50. i will always be happy that f1 understands that their financial opportunity is young female and diverse fans anytime they do something like this they reiterate that they understand that that is their new audience and that is the audience they should be appealing to it is also gotten to the point now for me personally where great you have recognized but they haven't actually put anything in place to start appealing more and talking to that group of fans so that that uh worries me that but i will always be happy to hear this number and hear that this number is important to them um so i'm throwing that without a question your way what about you no i definitely <laughs> think you're really hitting the nail on the head of knowing and doing are very different things i think we've been knowing and speaking a lot about the discourse of girth of female fans in f1 like okay again not new information i think it will be really interesting having the full year of f1 academy and aligning with the f1 calendar and just seeing how f1 utilizes having both of these series at the exact same time um and appealing to a fan base that way because i think a really great way to be feeling to appealing to your female fan base is utilizing your female drivers that you have so doing that across the board and i'm not just saying like female because female but just like giving it that platform it's your it's like a t-ball easy in of making that more of a you know known space i would also like to see if they could do some things over the next year to make races safer and to make races more accessible for a younger demographic and it doesn't have to be every race like i don't agree i don't personally agree with a lot of the criticisms that like Vegas needed to be cheaper. I think Vegas should have been cheaper based on the uh, cost benefit of buying it, but it didn't, you know, you could also keep Vegas the same price and make the value of it worth more. Like there's always going to be races. Like I think based on the calendar right now, it's like Singapore, mm -hmm. Vegas, Monaco, Miami are these like more luxury events. And I think that's great to have on the calendar. But have other races, make sure Coda's accessible for people, make sure that Silverstone becomes more accessible again. Like there's, there's always, so you need to make sure there's opportunities for young people to actually attend these events. And then you need to make sure they're safe when they're there. And I think these are two things that F1 could easily do in the next year that would really help them out to in keeping this demographic. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Vegas is too much. And they decided to drop more Andretti GM news on us. And we promised everyone in the Yellow Sector Notes last week that we would talk about it in this week's episode. Um, and the reason we paused on talking about it is because it did feel like there was a good chance if if, Andre if the Andretti team was going to get approved by Formula One management, it felt like this was the weekend to announce it. So we wanted to hold our breath, make it through Vegas GP week, see if there was actually more news to this before we talked about everything like GM, engine supplier, yada, yada, yada. But let me give everyone listening and myself a quick recap that I outlined because my brain hurts because of Vegas and they decided to give us this news on top of it. So a quick reminder, the FIA has approved Andretti's bid to become a team for the 2025 F1 season. Yes, that is very soon from now for a team that has never done any F1 racing before and they have to build up an entire engineering department and blah, 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 all the things. They, their bid was a joint bid with GM's brand Cadillac as a title sponsor. 
this is the last we've heard from GM or Cadillac in any official capacity was the announcement of this sponsorship deal. F1 doesn't want to approve this bid. If the FIA have announced they have approved it, F1's like, we're looking it over. And it doesn't seem like they're budging anytime soon. And the only quotes we've gotten recently is that they're looking at avenues for GM to join, but they don't necessarily care about a 10th team. GM spokesperson said they only want to join with Andretti, which is really the only time we've heard from anyone at GM. And then we got the news last Wednesday or Thursday that the FIA has approved an engine submission GM has made where they're upgrading their sponsorship Andretti to a full-on engine deal, but for 2028. So three years after Andretti would enter as a Alpine customer team in 2025. The FIA have approved this engine submission and they do not need any approval or notice or anything from Formula One management, which are the people they are trying to win over and get to approve the engine uh, the Andretti team without, so basically the FIA have done another thing that they don't need F1's approval for in hopes of getting F1's approval. I hope that recap was less frazzled out loud than it was in my brain, because again, we didn't even attend the Vegas GP weekend and my brain is like mush. So why did FIA and Andretti take this new angle? And my options are, this is something F1 is asking for. Like F1 keeps saying that they will only approve Andretti if they provide value. So maybe a way the FIA and Andretti are trying to show and prove value is like, look, GM is actually going to become an engine manufacturer, which is something that will, that will provide value. Having another engine manufacturer will provide value. Um, they also could just be doing it because it's another way for the FIA to do something without F1. They can just say, hey, we did something. So, Nicole, <laughs> apologies for the frantic introduction that took way too long. Why do you think this even happened? Like, wh how, why do you think we got here? Everything, I think, is just a poke of like, F1, look now. Look, look, look at this. Look, look, <laughs> look, look at this offer. Can you look at this? So I think it's also, I think it's a combination of the FIA being like, well, we could do this. But also look at how, look, we're enhancing the package for you. Right. Um, I, I'm still in the place where F1 is like, no, we don't want this. And, you know, including GM as an engine supplier later on in the future is a way that some may see it being like a more lucrative deal. And F1 could be like, yay, engine supplier. I still think they're mostly in the place of like, no, please leave us alone. Leave us alone. No one asked you for this, but instead they were like, America, here's an announcement. Like, that's what it felt like. Yeah, I'm with you because I'm, I'm still so skeptical about this engine deal even being real because, well, one, 2028 is really far away away. And actually, like, if, if GM is going to make a complete 180 and go from we're going to title sponsor you to we're going to make an engine that we've never made before, that will take a long time, but why haven't we heard from GM announcing this? Like it all goes back to me, like Ford is essentially sponsoring Red Bull's engine. And we got some of the biggest, most exciting announcements. Ford keeps making content about them joining F1 in 2026. It's like, you can tell that there is um, corporate investment because they're backing it with their marketing and PR messaging. Like nothing that's happening on the GM side, no matter what new news we get around it, feels like it's actually coming from GM or Cadillac. So I'm skeptical of the whole thing. 
Like the whole thing feels like the, the FIA and Andretti being like, could you just submit something for 2028? And like, you don't actually have to hold true to it by the time that comes. Um, so we're just trying to get on the grid and then being like, yeah, sure, whatever, like go do your thing. Like I, whole thing makes me really skeptical. I think it is a positive sign that it seems like the FIA and Andretti are trying to do things to make the um, cave. Like it seems cave like they're in a way that's into- like lucrative. Yeah, like the way that would cause them to cave. Like last time, it just seemed like, well, we're going to announce that they're approved. It's like, okay, well, now they're announcing at least like and things that could be better to the sport. Like having another right. engine manufacturer could maybe be better. It's not just like here's another team, but still have a lot and- of concerns elsewhere. It all goes back in my brain to why why did the Andretti's think it was a good idea to shit talk everyone in F1 for about 18 months and now is confused when they won't get approval? Like the whole thing, I just, this whole debacle feels confusing for my brain. And this engine announcement that doesn't come with an announcement from the giant massive brand and company that would be investing like a half a billion dollars in building this engine it just feels like another layer of weirdness on an already like weird convoluted like very formula one story and it's definitely far from over but you know that i think andretti just needed to be part of the vegas narrative a little bit um, so in line with i can't believe they released this vegas week because of course they did there's too much going on we got our first look at what seems to be the direction they're going for the 2026 new formula. Um, They apparently showed all the technical directors in Mexico, um, some of these mock-ups that AMUS put up on their website, along with a description of the different changes to the regulation. If there's one thing I was reminded of when watching the Braun docuseries that we will talk about more on Thursday, is that F1 has been trying to do one thing with their regulations since the dawn of time, which is make less dirty air so cars can pass and be more competitive on track. And when your car has that much downforce, it's just going to be a hard task. So it was interesting listening to them talk about, as I'm about to say, guess what? The goal of the 2026 regulations is to make on-track following and passing easier, like it always is. Um, But that's not the only goal. And caveat to all of this, like these regulations are completely in flux and in motion. So this is just, at this point, some of the things that AMUS has been able to figure out. So for starters, we're getting shorter cars by at least 27 meters, slimmer cars by about 10 centimeters, and lighter cars by about 20 to 30 kilograms, with apparently the goal of making them even lighter than that. Um, A big complaint of drivers about this regulation set of cars is how much bigger and bulkier and hard to maneuver and hard to see over them. And just like, they can't fling them through corners the way they want to, because they're not as light as they used to be. Um, so it, it has been clear to me with these technical, like with this new direction that they're showing the technical directors, that that's at least a goal, that we should get smaller and lighter cars. And that makes me hyped. Yeah, it's, I feel like that conversation comes up so much, particularly around one of our favorite races, Monaco, when people are discussing like what cars used to look like and the history of F1 cars and how they've just become like so huge and big and it's really just not fit for a circuit like Monaco. So I'm excited to see that this could be like a option 
that we could be getting like a lighter, slimmer version of cars that could, you know, make drivers want to like rip around turns and more than, or in a better way that they currently can do. Um, but again, I'm trying to take this information with a grain of salt of how much this could change and, you know, coming from a Google translate position of it all, <laughs> which uh, I did verify with other people on social media. There was other people translating this. It wasn't just Google, but yes. Right. Yeah, no, that's just yeah. name of our segment. Um, it's an important I, caveat, though, that I don't speak German. <laughs> I think it's also, to your point of every technical directive is, like, producing dirty air. Da, 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 and it's just like, okay, hearing that, I just can't wait to be like, wow, I can't wait for teams to be reading the regulations and then finding, like, what's not said in the regulations and, like, doing that one thing that's eventually going to become a rule that they can't do anymore. Yep. And, like, that's just... It's it, it's such it's a cyclical thing, yeah. um, but that's what makes it exciting. And it's what is one of the best parts about F1 is that there are these regulations that you have these genius people reading through, finding out what they can and can't do with it. I have to say that I think some of the frustrating things for me watching the last two years of the regulations is that there hasn't been a lot of that. And I we know it's happening, but there's been since there's been no like pinning Red Bull back, we haven't figured out any of Red Bull's tricks yet. It's been frustrating to watch. I want to see how they're skirting the regulations because that means they're doing a good job. Uh, the second big thing I pulled out, so we have smaller, lighter cars. The second thing I pulled out is that they're continuing their initiative to reduce air spirals around the wheels, which is a main cause of like dirty air. So that's why we have the wheel covers now, but they're also looking to put even more guards around the wheels to prevent it. So just an interesting thing that they're double downing on, double? Yeah. Doubling down on. Doubling wow. down <laughs> Doubling down on um, from this regulation set to the next one. So we're not going to lose the wheel covers in any way. If anything, we're going to get more elements to prevent that kind of spirally air, the, the bad stuff for following. Um, and then the third thing, which is interesting that I know people are probably going to run wild with, and I'm excited to see what all the smart people say about this, is that there's potential for more active aero elements beyond just the DRS flag. So DRS flaps is active arrow because there's something actively changing within like the when they're allowed to do it. Um, so there's potential for more active arrow elements. They're specifically looking at more in the rear wing and more in the front wing, but they're not limiting themselves to just those areas. So I don't think we're going to see like the active suspension per se of years past, but I like that they're not uh, limiting the regulations or their way of thinking about the regulations too. We have DRS and that is now the only way we can use active arrow. It seems like they're willing to consider more options, which would be fun. Offer more active arrow. I love that idea. It's like a surprising, that was one of the pieces that I was like most surprised of when like hearing these mm -hmm. like potential drafts of regulations because it just seems so fun that they wouldn't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so excited to, and hope that that stays true on here. I mean, we love DRS. So give us some more uh, active arrow options. We're here to talk about Abu Dhabi. And I can't <laughs> How is Vegas not the end of the F1 season? I This is unbelievable. There is no way that Abu Dhabi still has to happen. Everything will be a letdown from this point on. I have to agree with you there. Um, and except when Nicole ends up 
in an ice bath at the start of our predictions next year because she... I don't think there's even hope. I think you'd have to pick Sebastian Vettel for like every single pick and for me to maybe win. And I don't even feel good about that. So, uh... <laughs> um, well, we do have to do some picks here to end this out, even though we're both kind of feel like this upcoming Abu Dhabi race is fake, not real. Uh, so who do you have for P2? Um, my P2 is Lando Norris. I think he's coming back with a vengeance. I think he's like, I had a really awful week last week and I'm going to be back on the podium in Abu Dhabi. I think that's a a good, reasonable call. I don't know how Lando Norris had like the worst weekend of all time this weekend. It just happened. I wish I had some good analysis, but just nope, can. he just had a bad weekend. Um, I think that Sergio Perez is going to end his Red Bull career with a bang. And I think he's going to be P2. It's very fair, which is why I have Checo as my P3. <laughs> I think that's really fair. Uh, I also think that the Ferrari is doing good things, and I'm going to have Carlos Sainz as my P3. Because Charles Leclerc having positive back-to-back races, I don't, brain no comprehend. So I'm going with the other Ferrari. I'm the problem for Ferrari. I just, I I can't pick them anymore. It's me. I literally, every time. It's Ferrari. I've gone back and forth of swearing on and off them, and I literally picked Carlos last week, and he's like, all right, grid penalty. Charles is on the podium. No way. There's fake world. Fake world. There's there is a curse on Ferrari that has nothing to do with you. Maybe. All right, now we have uh P10 wrapping out the year, going out with it. I'm putting Alex Albon just cuz what do I have to lose? I also <laughs> went with Alex Albon yeah. cuz I wanted I think I was really disappointed for Williams this week. Like, there was a world where the race strategy worked out in more of their favor, favor, and they ended up with points. So I really hope Williams ends the year with some points. And so I also put Alex Albon for P10. Yeah, it just it felt felt right, felt good, and yeah, make up from this weekend should have been better. You know what didn't feel right or good is that I felt very attacked when I read a tweet this week where someone said that Mercedes is just Williams with Lewis Hamilton, and that hurt me right in the soul. We don't have time to unpack all of that. Who do you have last to finish in Abu Dhabi? <laughs> Nico Hulkenberg. And I uh, I kept it with King Rear End, Valtteri Bottas. <laughs> oh, all right. And then, honestly, I think this this is could be a spicy, exciting one. What team do you have to score the most points that's not named Red Bull? I kept it McLaren. I decided to go with Ferrari. No, you didn't. I'm going to close my computer. You pick Ferrari. What? Okay. We're, we've lost it. We've officially. It's okay. That's, I mean, it's, it's going to be the week where I don't love Ferrari. And like, they're like, here you go. Here's Brenna's all these points. Nicole have so much fun in the ice bath. Welcome back to Yellow Sector Notes. Not the fastest walk around F1, but we will complete a full lap around the paddock, hitting every F1 garage. All right, Red Bull went hover speed racing in the desert. It also coincided with a ton of desert and Grand Canyon themed press that teams did before this, both Williams taking a helicopter and Haas visiting the Grand Canyon. 
Mercedes announced this week that WhatsApp is a new sponsor for the team. Also, if you're looking for that Lewis Hamilton car Funko Pop that went around social media, it's officially on sale on the Mercedes merch store. I am sorry to your wallet. Going into the final race of this season, Ferrari is now only four points behind Mercedes for P2 and the Constructors. Now, P2 gets positive vibes and an additional 10 million in winnings. P3 gets more wind tunnel time. Which one do you want? In case you missed it, Lando was sent to the hospital after his crash for, quote, precautionary measures. He seems okay, but the impact he had definitely was hard. Aston Martin announced they sold a stake in their team to a private equity firm that this sale values their team at an estimated 1 billion pounds, which, by the way, is 1.2 billion U.S. dollars. Reminder, uh, Alpine's recent equity sale put the value at about 100 million U.S. dollars. Um, so it's not surprising that Aston Martin is above the Alpine team, but it's still crazy to see that the team is worth over a billion dollars. We really didn't get time in this episode this week to talk about two amazing comeback drives from two of our favorite drivers. Yes, I'm including Nicole and liking Lance Stroll just because she loves me. Um, so Esteban Ocon and Lance Stroll ended up P4 and P5 from P16 and P19, respectively, both huge comeback drives that are definitely worth celebrating and mentioning and just highlighting and being like, yay fun. Williams announced its 2024 F1 Academy driver. She has made a name for herself at the age of 17, racing in Extreme E and Rally, and she became the youngest American Rally Association champion in history as she won the Open Two-Wheel Drive class this past year. Valerie Bottas dropped a 2024 calendar this weekend. Every month has a different photo of his butt. Nicole purchased it. Whether or not you have an interest in this or buying this, please go look at the marketing for it. They put out like studios as if they were in an art gallery revealing paintings and it was incredible, incredible marketing. I'm obsessed. Avatari still hasn't announced its new branding for 2024. I really thought it was gonna be this weekend. Did they just all think that we forgot that two people are dying? Like, we're supposed to be buying title sponsorships. Like, are we ever gonna get the news? Or are they just gonna be Avatari next year? These are the questions I'm asking myself at this point in the season. And with the final race of the season comes the final chance for F1 teams to fulfill their rookie driver regulation requirement. As a reminder, both cars need to be replaced by a rookie at least once during an FP1 every season. If you are running a rookie driver, that doesn't count for you. Um, so here are the 10 drivers that will be required to give up their cars in FP1 in Abu Dhabi because they haven't yet. Both Red Bull cars, Lewis Hamilton, Charles Leclerc, Fernando Alonso, Lando Norris, Esteban Ocon, Joe Guan Yu, Alex Hellman, and Nico Hülkenberg, which means FP1 will be 50% Grand Prix drivers and 50% rookies. That is it for November 20th. Oh, that is the right day. That is the gridwalk for November 20th, 2023 completed. I was thrown off because it's, you know, this is coming out on a Monday, not a Thursday. How was my sector time today, Nicole, excusing that final blunder? <laughs> Faster than FP1 ended, which that blunder was appropriate for FP1. <laughs> Thank you, as always, to VoiceOver Man. Thank you to Vegas for really meeting, exceeding, and having all of the expectations expected. And our four-legged executive producers. If you're watching on YouTube, you're having a great hair day today. Wow, we look really great. Um, subscribe while you're here. Like the video. Leave us a comment saying, what's your favorite bit of shenanigans from the Vegas GP weekend? Because there's a long, long list. If you're an audio listener, don't forget to follow. Turn on auto downloads. Again, 
auto downloads you can auto download super easy it really dopamine fix you hit auto download we receive dopamine rate review the pod all of these things really really help other people find our podcast and we really appreciate them join us for daily grid walks on all of your social media platforms you can find us at Gridwalk show on instagram tiktok twitter and threads And we'll be back to walk the Formula One grid this Thursday with a Braun GP episode. And then we'll be back with like the next Thursday, but this is coming out on a Monday. And like, it's a lot. And this is crazy. And it's Vegas. It's so much. And we sincerely hope that you join us for all of this. But today you did feel like waking up in Vegas, even though I was not in Vegas. And whatever.